Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today is the Thursday Club. We'll be looking ahead to Saturday's trip to the Northeast to face Newcastle United. It's going to be a bit of a weird atmosphere up there on Saturday. They went out the Champions League in dramatic fashion on Wednesday. They've got plenty of injuries. And of course, Fulham are flying. Not only two 5-0 wins in the Premier League, but a new contract for our man in goal, Burnt Leno. What a week it has been to be a Fulham fan. And I'm joined as ever by Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, mate. How you doing? Good, thank you. Peter Rutzler has been catching his breath after PSG's dramatic qualification in the Champions League, so he drafted in our regular favourite transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello. Hello, mate. Happy to jump off the bench for this one. Always great to have you off the bench, um, Dean. And uh, we were just talking off air before uh, before you came on that um, you've missed... Both 5-0 wins at the Cottage. The first two games you hadn't been to at the Cottage all season and it's the 5-0. So first question is, um, can you hand in your season ticket, please, and um, never come back? Honestly, mate, it's funny you say that because I did actually send my season ticket to someone else and haven't sent it back yet. So maybe it never will come back. Maybe it never will. Um, Yeah, so the Forest game, my little boy, yeah, so he's five. Well, I just turned six, but... um, his first season, first year, really, of, of going every Fulham home game. And um, he's really got into it. The Forest game, obviously, was on uh, Amazon. And he's like, can't you stay at home and watch that with me? I could stay up late that night. And I was like, oh, well, it is freezing. It is Nottingham Forest. I could probably convince myself not to go to this one. Yeah, let's do it. So I stayed home. Mate, we went one nil up. It was so funny. He... I was like kind of sta- at this point I was like standing in the lounge as we scored the first goal. He was standing on the couch. We scored. He jumped on my back and then jumped off, took his shirt off, was swinging it around the lounge, <laughs> going out, "Dad, get your shirt off. We've scored. We've scored." Like, Blimey, we're 1-0 up against Nottingham Forest at home. <laughs> anyway, it was kind of kind of the theme of his night. He had an amazing night, but he, he couldn't believe we weren't there. I mean, he's obviously been coming to every game desperate to see goals and doesn't see many. But I was like, okay, well, 5 0 against Nottingham Forest. Shame to miss that one. It was then his birthday on the day of the West Ham game. We'd already booked all this family stuff and he couldn't go. He did want to go. He was like, but it's, can't I go? Like, <laughs> it's my birthday. I was like, well, not really, mate. I mean, <laughs> mum's, you know, mum's going to want to see you on your birthday. And we've got bowling <laughs> booked and you're seeing nanny and you got all this. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, so anyway. As those scores, I was at a, down a bowling lane in Kingston. And honestly, <laughs> I don't know if I felt happy or annoyed as all those goals were going in. It was such a weird feeling. It was such, I just couldn't believe it. Like, yeah. What is happening? It doesn't say they've had any men sent off. Like, what? what is going on over at the cottage right now? Um, I managed to grab like some of the second half on my phone, but lads, you're going to have to fill me in a little bit here because I don't understand how... It's one thing to record back-to-back five nils, but for West Ham to be the second one is just incredible. 
Yeah, well, this is what I was going to come on to, Jack. Obviously, you guys um, did a brilliant job uh, recapping the action on Monday's podcast. Loved it. Um, it was really, really nice vibe on, on Monday's pod, Jack, uh, with you. It's easy uh, to have a nice vibe after a 5-0. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in fairness, yeah, the vibes were just uh, ex- exceptional. It was just weird, though, wasn't it, Jack? Like, I'm thinking back now, a few days later, and I'm like, I, Fulham were brilliant. Let's not get anything away from it. We, I think we'd have won that game whatever we, we we dominated West Ham but West Ham were weirdly bad and when you've seen some of the stuff that's come out in the days since about this this sickness bug I mean Moyes complained about tiredness which I didn't buy too much into I was like it's 24 hours and you're fairly used to now playing on Thursday nights and coping with it um but like we, one of the stories I saw Jack was that at half time um Pablo Fornells was so sick that he threw up over um, Ogbonna in the West Ham dressing room. <laughs> like, it did seem like they were in absolute chaos. I mean, I, d- I don't know if there's quite an element that, you know, when you lose like this and you lose by such a big margin to a team close to you in the league who, you know, your fans will expect you to win. West Ham have an incredible record against Fulham. And so, you know, you get to that and you're sort of thinking, are they just searching for excuses here? Obviously, Fornals did go off at halftime, so that would, that would add up if, if that <laughs> is true. But, I mean, I do think that there is an element here that we're talking about slightly probably overplayed issues. We know that West Ham were late to get into the game. I don't doubt that there was a bug. But equally, they started fine. They were pretty good for the first 10 minutes. They looked in pretty reasonable control. They grew into the game. And just some of the decisions that they made, I thought, in terms of the way that the squad was set up for this game, didn't make huge amounts of sense to me. They've been going with a three in midfield more often than not when they've been away from home, which often has been Salchek, Ward-Prowse, Edson Alvarez. Instead, they dropped their kind of notable defensive midfielder and played Lucas Paqueta behind the 10, went back to that sort of 4-2-3-1, match for them, man for man. And then got absolutely overwhelmed in midfield. And whilst I think that there is an element that they were definitely off the boil, and whether that's due to off-field issues or just the fact that they were outplayed, is is a slightly different question. And I think when it comes down to it, we're we're talking about a, a Fulham team that once they found their groove, felt very, very irresistible in many ways, especially in the centre of the park with Kenny pulling the strings, with Pereira dovetailing with Iwobi with lots of things working in, in, in Fulham's favour. And I think that whilst there is probably modicums of truth to all of the stories being thrown around by by the West Ham press right now in order to try and make excuses for that game, the truth is that one side were just a lot better than the other. And yes, there can be caveats, but I think that, and you know, I said this on Monday, and I like having this Thursday club episode. And I love being on this episode because it does allow you to kind of reflect a little bit more before you respond to things and allow you to kind of think about stuff more generally in a way that maybe you don't in kind of immediate reaction pods. But my feelings from Monday haven't gone away that one five nil win, you can write off to one team being bad or, you know, someone not stepping up to the mark Two five nil wins. And you have to start to go, something's changed here within this Fulham team and teams are not able to deal 
with whatever it is that Fulham have have changed to. Like, I think it's to do with that dovetailing between the players, the fact that the, the front three are incredibly interchangeable now, the fact that Tom Kearney is stepping out of that midfield role, the, the partnership between Adrabayo and, and Bassi, which basically allows Fulham to push one of them into midfield and therefore kick Tom Kearney on. And with the two fullbacks bombing on on top of that, it makes it very difficult to defend. But just kind of generally, I think that we should probably not try and take away from exactly how good Fulham have been in the last two games. West Ham, like, they, they must be so confused, the fan base right now. Because in David Moyes, I think that he's got the best win percentage of any, like, permanent West Ham manager. Um, I don't know if it's forever, but certainly for a long time, possibly Premier League era. But you look at he won a European trophy. And in terms of what he act, can actually show from his tenure, like, it, it's pretty good. But you watch reactions on a week-to-week basis from West Ham fans or you listen to them on, on the radio or pods or whatever, and they have constantly this season been complaining about performance levels and it felt like they were due a hiding because they were going to get found out at some point. Now, there probably is an element of fatigue. There probably was some illness involved here because 5-0 is heavy. But West Ham don't really know where they're at right now and I think they've got a dilemma as to... Do they stick with David Moyes beyond this season? The contract's going to come to an end. And the fans are totally torn over it. It's kind of that Cholton syndrome of when they had Alan Kerbishley. It's like, careful what you wish for. Like, yeah, it's not always great to watch, but you're always here. You're always able to compete at some level and you'll get some good results along the way. Are West Ham ever going to be like a regular top six side? Certainly not anytime soon. So how far do they want to push? And for a Fulham point of view, you consider the times when we've had really good runs and like typically we get guys poached from us or whatever and and either your your best players go or the manager ends up being taken. And so I'm like, I'm just glad that that's not us right now. We haven't got that expectation level. We haven't got that feeling that everything looks okay, but it's really not. We actually had the opposite feeling. We thought everything was dreadful at Fulham. And we've just had this pleasant surprise that actually a little bit of coaching over the international break and we're suddenly well beaters. Like we're in an amazing position right now. You look at the fixtures coming up. I know we're going to talk more in detail about Newcastle in a minute. So I'll hold back on that. But then, you know, you look at the Burnley fixture at home, like there's a chance there that could be another 5-0. That's not impossible. And you've got a cup game against Everton, which could lead to like... The two form sides in the country, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's basically a cup final. Who's going to win the cup this season? Fulham or Everton? So, yeah, I think you've got to look at what they're going through. And they consider themselves to have had obviously a great year generally, winning a a trophy and all, all the rest of it, recovering from, you think, from losing Declan Rice. Yeah, we've just smashed them 5-0 and we're the side that feels like we've got more to play for this season now. Yeah, and the uh, extra good news uh, on Wednesday evening, um, Bert Leno, a a brand new contract uh, until 2027 with the club uh, retaining an option to make that 2028. So you could be looking at another four and a half years uh, of Bert Leno. And, And Jack, like, this has been... When I think about in the last, under the Khan ownership, I am now starting to think that maybe Leno is the greatest transfer coup of their time at the club. I mean, I think we all kind of thought Tossin was one of those that was, you know, incredible business. 
Um, but that hasn't quite turned out as great as we thought it might, although he's on the way back. But getting him for three and a half million, and I'm still looking at the Arsenal keeper situation every week. They don't know what to do and wondering, did you sell us the wrong one? Like, we, we are so blessed right now to have him between the sticks. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it, that you actually look at the keepers that Arsenal let go. And obviously, Bernd Leno has been phenomenal for Fulham. And Emi Martinez has just won goalkeeper of the year at the Ballon d'Or Awards. <laughs> and you are starting to think maybe they haven't been particularly good at hanging on to the right players at the right time. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely question marks about what Arsenal did there. I don't think there's any question marks about how good Bernd Leno is in terms of shot stoppers, pure shot stoppers in the Premier League. I don't think there's many better. I think that he he's right up there at the top of that list. And there's a reason that he continues to perform at the top of those charts for not just, you know, in terms of saves and save percentages, but in terms of post-shot XG it prevented and those metrics that measure how many goals a keeper has actually saved aside. There's no doubt whatsoever in my mind that Bernd Leno will continue to be at the top of those lists. And for the way that Fulham play, he's absolutely perfect. There is that element of risk associated with, with Marcus Silva's football, which means that keepers do have to have that reflexibility to, to make saves and keep Fulham in games. And the levels he's brought, I think just in terms of, you know, obviously his performances on the pitch, but also his leadership off it, the fact that he's seen as someone in the dressing room who is a calm figure that everyone can rely on. The fact that he's worked his way back into the Germany squad, I think is huge in terms of Fulham keeping hold of him because that was obviously an ambition when he left Arsenal. It was something that had sort of slipped away from him. And in these performances for Fulham, the German national setup doesn't have the same probably biases, I would suggest, um, that maybe they do in England where you have to be playing for the right clubs in order to be in the setup. They've seen the performances that Bernd Leno's put in. They've seen the levels that he's playing at and they've gone, yeah, why wouldn't we have him in the squad? And I think that kind of attitude from the DFB is probably something that helps Fulham out because you then look at it and go, well, why would he leave? If he's playing at this kind of level, he believes Fulham, and he's spoken about it before, can kick on towards Europe and he knows that his shirt is completely secure, then he needs to just keep doing that and he'll be in the World Cup squad or the Euro squad next summer, sorry, and the World Cup squad for 2026. And I think that that puts Fulham in a very, very good position in terms of, of keeping him and making sure that he's happy. And his new contract, I think, is a sign of that. Yeah, Dean, I, I do look at Burns as one of those players, you know, when I'm nervously looking at next summer and like, right, we're in for another summer of, of pain, of, of big clubs swirling. And Leno, for me, feels like he could in one day have a Van der Sar trajectory of he was at a big club and he rose to the top and then he took a, let's be honest, a step down to come to Fulham, but there could be another step back up. Bert Leno's 31. There's plenty of years of goalkeeping mm. left in, in Bert Leno. But I guess this contract maybe just probably solidifies our position next summer going into next going into next season, which was which is key because you just worried after two good years, there might be a few clubs in Europe that need a new goalie and Bert Leno would just be a really rock solid choice for for so many teams across Europe. But this 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 strengthens our hand. It definitely does, yeah. And I think like you only have to look down the road at Chelsea as to how hard it is to find a reliable goalkeeper in this league. And you look since 
pretty pet a check, really. Like the times that they, the money they've spent on goalkeepers, the the different types of goalkeepers they've tried. And I, I was thinking recently of, you know, they've obviously got Robert Sanchez in there, but they're still looking and for someone that can totally convince them of who could be their their goalkeeper for the next few years that's reliable. And I was always thinking, please don't look at us. Please do not look at us because we have got a better goalkeeper than you. And I'm completely confident in this guy. Um, I do. I play a lot of uh, on Fantasy Premier League, the, the app. You, you look through that. And Leno has the, the most points for any goalkeeper right now. And you kind of look at the companies in around that. And obviously it's judged on saves you make as well as um, clean sheets you keep. But that's what's great about him. That's why he's top of that list because even when Fulham are up against it, Leno, the amount of saves he can make across a game when you're under the cosh is just absolutely ridiculous. I think of some of the matches, uh, was it Arsenal away? I can seem to remember him making like, he was like a brick wall that Point day. to prove, wasn't it? Point it to really prove was. Like that, that, that afternoon... And it, well, had, Everton, Everton in the first game of the season was obviously like his his high point, wasn't it, this year, where if it yeah. hadn't been for Burns, it should have been about 4-1. True, and hopefully he can uh, play like that again uh, next week. But um, yeah, but being behind that goal at the Arsenal game, like it was, a, it was a horrible game to watch because you were kind of just waiting for that inevitable moment where they break through and then they go and score a couple more and put it beyond you. And it was just like, such a secure feeling of knowing you've got a good goalkeeper who's not going to probably throw a clanger. I know he's had a couple of moments recently where he's not been like totally himself, but like, I, I don't care about those moments. Like, I totally trust him to put those behind him immediately and not have an own Onana type flip into just absolutely losing his head, which modern goalkeepers seem to struggle. It must be hard. Like when you are in the spotlight like that, when you make an error, when you're up against it all the time, it must be really difficult to keep your head. But Leno always seems to manage to bounce back from any adversity. Bearing in mind the style that Fulham use, how many keepers in the Premier League would you swap for Bernd Leno? There's not many. Like Alisson. Yeah. But aside from Alisson, who's arguably the best goalkeeper in the world. I right can't now. see him coming, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like how many how many actual goalkeepers, if you had complete free reign, would you swap for Bert Leno? Well There's someone like loads. someone like Martinez would be someone you'd think about, but like do, do, are you gaining for all of Martinez's qualities, he also has a lot of um rough with the smooth when when you bring in someone like Martinez. And I think I'd rather just stick with the stability of Lena. I don't think you'd be gaining all that much by switching. Even I, I, I think Allison is the only exception. Ed, I mean, I feel like with Edison, you don't always see the best of him because he's he's rarely challenged. But yeah. Um, yeah. But the point is, we're talking about goalkeepers for clubs playing right at the very top of the game. If you're switching, you're switching him for anybody, and and that's an incredible company for him to be in, and in, you know, incredible prestige for Fulham to have between the sticks. And it, it's a great, this is great news. Absolutely unbelievable news. Yeah. I, I was uh, dead chuffed to see it. Didn't really, I hadn't really considered it as a massive, like, you know, we were all kind of waiting for the yeah. Bellinia contract. And, the and news things. we didn't know we needed, wasn't it? No, yeah, exactly <laughs> that. You couldn't have put it any better. Um, other bits and bobs around the Fulham world this week. Um, obviously Tom Kearney made his 300th appearance on Sunday and I just have loved the Tom Kearney loving and, and I really enjoyed his message that he put on Twitter where he thanked everyone for the kind messages that, that he's received. And, and Dean, like 
I, I always love Tom Kenny. We all love Tom Kenny. I don't think there's a single person listening to this podcast that has a bad word to say about Tom, but just the fact that this kind of 300 appearance has coincided with this amazing turnaround in form for him has just been so wonderful to see. And I, I just think we, we might be in, um, you know, Kearney's Indian summer, the, the blossoming of Tom Kearney. And uh, it, it was lovely to see him kind of acknowledge the, the love that, that he's had. Oh, absolutely, mate. I mean, normally, you know, moments like this often come when a player's left or um, and you don't properly get the, the chance to enjoy the moment and then can allow it to continue. So we've got a really unique opportunity here with our captain to to truly show him what he means to us. And the way that he's bounced back this season to become a key part of this team, like it, it's... I'm so happy that it's happened, first and foremost. But secondly, it's so admirable the way that he has actually played such a big part in getting us to where we are right now and this feeling that we've got. And like, I don't want to see him out of this team. I spoke to Jack about this the other day and he was like, I still think we'll see him mainly at home rather than in away matches. And that's fine, to be honest. I, like, I, un- I understand the, the feeling behind that. When we are at home and Tom Kearney is on the ball, again, like Bernd Leno, when it comes to that element of trust, just the the pace at which we pass a ball, just the gaps that he finds, just the, the fact he actually cares so much, like it, it really, really is, it all matters so much. I remember when Tom Kearney actually signed for Fulham. Um, I think, am I right in saying it was the same time? I, I think I've talked to Jack again about this before. Was it Ben Pringle that signed at like the same? It was, yeah. And I was really excited about Ben Pringle. <laughs> I thought we had the next best thing, right? So and Tom Kenny, I really wasn't like, Tom Kenny, I was like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see how he does. But this Ben Pringle, he'll be around for years. Well, Tom definitely proved me wrong on that one, didn't he? Ben Pringle didn't last very long, sadly. But um, Dean going absolutely mental that Pringle wasn't given the 10 shirt. Ridiculous. Genuinely, yeah. My my radar was off on that one. But um, it's, it's just outrageous. Um, and I just hope that he can continue to be a part of this now for, for the next couple of years and continue to stay in in this setup and I know it's getting more difficult for him like he's 32 now and you're playing in the Premier League and there's no doubt that you can see Fulham's focus is towards rebuilding this midfield and making sure that we are ready for the evolution of it because yes obviously there's there's the Palinia situation but there is also this Kearney situation of of his age. He'll still stay around this squad. There's no doubt about it. Like we're not going to be getting rid of Tom Kearney. And hopefully now he sees his career through with us. There was a there was a period not so long ago where I was a little bit worried that Kearney would leave us. But I don't think that'll happen now. So it's going to be interesting to see how we go about this rebuild and how Tom makes sure that he can continue to lead us because... It's so important to have players that understand the club and give you that uh, that bond between what's going on on the pitch and what's going on in the stands. Again, to point to Chelsea, what do they not have right now? They don't have leaders. They don't have guys that you can recognise as one of your own. Like Reese James is all they had, so they just made him captain. Like not a good decision, really. But I can see why they did it because the fans were looking on the pitch and not knowing who anyone was. Um, Tom Kearney, like what he's given us, the moments that he's given. There was that great interview he did with Fulham where he's like in on the pitch going through his big moments and you take it all in. You're like, this guy has honestly given us some of the best days of our lives. 
Yeah, he really yeah. has. I mean, that video that video is beautiful, isn't it? The, the yeah. video of him watching himself on, on, on the screens in the middle of the pitch. And you could see him sort of chewing on his lip. And I found myself doing the same thing to try and just, you're like, ooh. I'm going to cry. Emotion. I'm gonna cry, gonna cry. If, I don't stand, if I don't chew my lip. And I was like, I'm sitting at home. I'm not on camera. Um, I can cry if I want. But again, I cry at everything. So that's a separate issue. Um, but there is <laughs> there is one more thing, which means he's 18 months from a testimonial. When was the last time oh. we had a testimonial at Fulham? When was the he's, last time? So this is it. 10 years in 2025. You'd imagine, considering his performances this summer or this season, He's going to see that through to 2025, which is wicked. And I'm absolutely over the moon about it. But also, you've got to think that Tom Kearney, with the performance he's putting in right now on the pitch in the Premier League, has got to be in Steve Clark's thinking for next summer's Euros. Like, obviously, Scotland are excellent. And at the moment, they're, they're performing very, very well. It's a really strong squad. And actually, it's more than the sum of its parts. But if you continue to drop these kind of performances, then I think that there's... Absolutely no way that when it gets to sort of March, Steve Clark can't be having a look at bringing Tom Kenny back into that squad. The the, the key yeah. thing though is, is whether Tom Kenny wants to play for Scotland. I've never been one hundred percent convinced that it's no. all that important to him. Like mm. the other thing I was going to bring up here, Dean, is just we've kind of grown up now with Tom Kenny, and I never, I, I you know, you brought up the the summer that he arrived. I remember, I think his first goal for Fulham uh, was scored against Brighton. It was an amazing goal. We lost the game two one, <coughs> but it was yeah. absolutely it was a you know classic Tom Kenny left footed curler into the into the far corner. The kind of goal that he doesn't tend to like scoring anymore. He, he, yeah. he kind of started, but that's what I mean. His evolution since he's been here, he kind of started off, he always had a good touch, he always had a good shot, but he kind of turned from being the maybe the talisman that would grab big dramatic goals. Um, then we then had the times when he was yeah, he was given the captaincy quite young, but maybe struggled a little bit with that kind of role. And I remember us criticizing him when he didn't, you know, he stormed down the tunnel after defeats and things like that. And you, you see what the player he's become now, not just a bag of tricks, dominating, influencing Premier League games in the way he is, the way he engages with the fan base so well. He's the perfect fit for Fulham, but he's grown into the role. We've given him that time, I guess, to become this kind of key central figure for, for Fulham, the, the likes of which, is, as, as you were talking about, I don't think we've had in 20 years. Well, I, I can't remember, honestly, I can't remember Simon any players. Morgan, that... Simon Morgan is probably... I think he's the last testimonial. I think he's the last testimonial. I think he's the only other player that would really compare to the status level you'd get of someone like Tom Kearney. And Simon obviously... Morgan's nickname was Mr. Fulham. Yeah. That's where we're at here. Um... He is that level though. I can't think of anyone else really. No, I mean, we've obviously had talisman and we've had great players through that the time since... Simon Morgan, but you know, so his testimonial was against Tottenham uh, in the 2000. Yeah. So by the time we get to Kearney's testimonial, it'll have been 25 years since the Simon Morgan. Game. Who would he play against actually? Who would you want Forrest? Tom Kearney to? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. So he grew up that just a win 5 0. Well, yeah, it'd be a, nice, it'd be a, comf- <laughs> it'd be a comfortable win, but uh, I know his, he and his, well, definitely, he mentioned on a, his Amazon interview that his dad's a big Forest fan, and I know it's all his family is, but his dad's still a Forest fan. I don't know that, unless it was just like 
the Tom Canyon mates testimonial. That's that, you know. There's a there's yeah. a lot of pictures of him in a Celtic shirt as a youngster. We'll have that. Is there? Fulham Celtic at the cottage. That'll, that'll do for TC's Well, we want a game we would win is the problem. <laughs> well, you know, at the moment. At the moment, <laughs> at the moment would, it'd yeah. be close. Matt O'Reilly versus Tom Kearney in the middle of the midfield. What a day. Um, Dean, just before we move <laughs> on to uh, the Newcastle game, any transfer rumours at this stage that have uh, taken your fancy? I mean, it's obviously been a little bit quiet. I think in terms of the forward, I think we've got a real decision to make here. So earlier on in the season, I was speaking to someone uh, that's well-connected. and It was about the Mitrovic replacement. And they said, look, ideally, Fulham will get through this season without spending money. Because at the time, you looked at the teams that were had come up from the, the championship how Fulham performed last season, you're like, okay, we should be safe from that threat and we should also give ourselves time to allow this team to grow a little more without Mitrovic and then completely decide on what you need in the side to to replace him. Kind of like how Tottenham have with Harry Kane, I guess. Um, But obviously in the first part of this season, with nobody up front capable of scoring goals, it was a case of, okay, we've got to identify who's going to come in here. And we've seen the, the six, seven names that have been linked with Fulham pretty regularly over, over this period. And I believe that they were um, the, the Celtic final game this week and primarily probably was to, to watch Santi Jimenez. But I think the fact that Raul Jimenez has actually scored recently, and if he can score between now and the new year, I honestly think there's got to be a temptation to just try and get through this season and then buy a striker in the summer instead of buying in January, if nothing's already set up. Because what do we... Typically, you don't go and spend a lot of money in January anyway, if if not necessary. And because there's not that threat of going down anymore, like there was probably three weeks ago... Um, what are you really chasing now? We're not going to qualify for Europe. Maybe we win the Carabao Cup. But where we are now is pretty much probably where we can hope to end up. Mm. And so why go and push money? And it's probably going to be a premium too in the January market to do something we could do in summer when there are more players available, when you can dress it more clearer. So I think that that will be a consideration um, even though, like, I, I can't deny, we are we have been scouting and, and looking at a few different people, and I do think that it would give us all a lift if in January somebody did arrive. I do feel like it would be nice from our point of view to see an, a new number nine unveiled halfway through the season. Um, and beyond that, I think it's that midfield that I was talking about. And again, with with Feyenoord, they've got a player called Quinton Timber, who I think we've got a little eye on at the moment as he starts to. Um, really established himself and has a few other Prem teams looking at him as well. And and the Andre situation is is very clearly uh, reported by now. We are the, the front runners uh, in the race to sign him. The only small element of fear is that he's in the Club World Cup um, that's being played uh, imminently. And there's always that chance of a hijack. And like, I am always scared that uh, he's been linked with Arsenal. He's been linked with Liverpool. If he's to go into that competition against the best teams in the world and get man of the match a couple of times. Do we still sign him? I don't know. I mean, uh, hopefully, yeah, but there's there's always going to be that little lingering doubt in the back of my mind. Right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we'll look ahead to Saturday's trip to Newcastle. 
Tis the season for festive football, and if you can't make it to a game, then the best place to watch a match is at your local Green King Sports pub, of course. Nothing better than a refreshing pint, delicious food, and live Christmas crackers in the Premier League. Every fixture from TNT, Sky, and Amazon is live at Green King Sport. That means wall-to-wall action on their huge HD screens. You can watch every winning goal, top bins volley, and dodgy VAR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Both of Fulham's games over Christmas against Bournemouth and Arsenal are on the box, so if you're away for the festive period and you can't get to the match, head to your local Green King Sport pub instead. Also, download the Green King Sport app and you'll receive 10% off every drink every time there is sport on the telly. The link is in the description of this podcast. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast It is Sammy here with Jack and Dean. Just before we get into the Newcastle preview, um, we were sent a message by a Fulham fan called Kieran. And I really want to give this um, a good shout. And if you can help Kieran out, then please, please do. So Kieran, sadly, has been diagnosed with throat cancer. His treatment started two weeks ago, but he messaged us saying that he wants to turn this into something positive. He's in the process of collating signed shirt sporting memorabilia for a charity auction after his treatment. The money raised will go to St. George's Hospital, Movember, My Black Dog and Maggie's. It's called Kieran's Kit Quest. So he has started an Instagram page. Um, I'll put the link in the podcast, but it's at Kieran's Kit Quest. And so Kieran basically is after any sporting memorabilia that you might have spare lying about. You might have uh, a classic shirt in the the bottom of your drawer or something like that. It could be Fulham. It could be any kit. It doesn't have to be Fulham. Um, it's, it's, it's all sport, but obviously I'm sure uh, Kieran would love to have uh, a few Fulham items in there. Um, and he's looking to sell at auction to raise some money for, for these amazing charities. And I think Kieran, I, I've spoken to him. He's just looking to do something, I think, positive to, to keep his mind off the treatments, which must be obviously absolutely awful at the moment. And so if there's any way that you can help out, if there's any kits that you've got, that could raise a little bit of money for charity and help Kieran with his wonderful cause, then um, head over to his Instagram, message him on there or message us. I can put you in touch with Kieran as well. He just really wants to get as many kits together. Um, And if there's anything that's uh, signed in particular or something like that, then that would be absolutely amazing. Kieran's kit quest on Instagram. And I think uh, from all of us here on the podcast, Kieran, just wishing you all the best with uh, with your treatment and hopefully you can raise lots of funds uh, for, for those fantastic charities. Right, let's move on to the Newcastle preview. Saturday, we head to St. James's Park. This is one of those fixtures you'd have looked at a month ago and just be like, loss, no chance. And whilst, Jack, I still don't think it's anywhere near a gimme or a shoe-in, Several factors have turned this around in our favour. Obviously, Newcastle put their hearts, souls and bodies on the line on Wednesday night to play Milan in the Champions League. They didn't win. No Kieran Trippier, potentially no Anthony Gordon. They've got so many injuries all across their squad. Fulham are flying. It's all there for a 2-1 routine Newcastle win, but um, <laughs> it feels like there's much more of a chance than that I would have given us three weeks ago. Yeah, I, I think this is it. It's not necess- It's not one of those that you go, oh, we'll win this game now. And Newcastle have been excellent at home generally in the Premier League. But equally, this is a squad out on its feet. 
I think we saw that against Tottenham in the Premier League last weekend. I think that there was a period in the start of the second half of this game against Milan where they looked very tired. They they rallied a little bit as as the game developed, but they've had to work till the absolute end of this game. If Newcastle had been 2-0 up and been able to see this game out relatively comfortably, you would have gone, okay, they've obviously still had to play 90 minutes midweek, which isn't ideal for a squad, which is very, very thin anyway. But equally, it's a, a game that they've had control of. It wasn't like that at all. This game became a basketball game. It was end-to-end towards the end. There were breakaways at both sides. Milan obviously scored the winner on the break with a pretty effective counterpunch is probably how I would describe it. But Newcastle then had to absolutely throw the kitchen sink at it right till the 93rd minute. And all of that, plus the kind of emotional drain of having at one point being in the in the Champions League knockout stages, then being in the Europa League knockout stages and then being out of Europe altogether has got to be a feeling of a missed opportunity as well uh, around around this Newcastle side. So I think with all of those factors put together, plus the injury crisis, plus the fact that they already looked weary before this game, Fulham have to be looking at it as an opportunity. But as you say, Newcastle is never an easy place to go. And, you know, with, with one memory aside, it's not been it's not been a particularly fruitful hunting ground for Fulham over the years. Yeah, Dean, I feel like Newcastle's recent form, though, has fallen off a cliff. They beat Manchester United in what was quite an impressive home win, but 3-0 defeat to Everton, 4-1 defeat to Tottenham, then obviously that defeat in the Champions League. It does seem like a lot of their problems are away from home rather than at home. But there's, there's absolutely no reason why Fulham can't go here with the extra day's rest as well and really upset the apple cart. Yeah, I mean, it's, if from a Fulham point of view, I think you've just got to consider that it's probably the best time you could be playing them. Yes, you could fear a backlash from what's just happened and getting knocked out of the Champions League. But when you watch that game and you see the players out on their feet, you know that Kieran Trippier isn't available for this game. Um, you know a good that, thing considering how he's played of late. Yeah, but still, like I'd still rather he wasn't there. Um it's going to be hard, I think, to lift themselves for this one. Um, they've left everything on the pitch against AC Milan. They're out of Europe now. I guess the one bad thing for us is that they will now be told that you can still get back into the Champions League, lad. You can get into the top four or five here. And this is where it all begins. This is where we go again. And I understand that they'll be sending out that message. But because of the momentum that we've just built up, And because of the fact that you've seen how vulnerable this team can be recently, I think it actually plays into our hands. I mean, the way that we play, the way that we break, there's going to be chances to score here. I mean, I've only been to Newcastle away once and I remember it being a a terrible day out because we barely had a shot at goal. I think I ended up spending more time in the, in the concourse than I did actually watching the game because it was such a hard watch. Um, But I was actually at the point of thinking, wish I was going like a week ago. Like you say, there's no, I would have been like, Oh no, we won't get anything there. Two weeks ago, I'd have been like absolutely no chance. Like my little boy, Dylan, he did actually ask to go to Newcastle. Where I was like, there's absolutely no chance I'm going there. But I said the same to him about Liverpool as well, because I was like, mate, we're not going to Anfield. There's no trains. We're going to go up there. It's a complete waste of time. We'll lose three nil. And it's just a bad day out. And I've had the similar feeling about this Newcastle one, but 
He went to Anfield and scored three goals and should have got something out of that game. And going to Newcastle kind of feels similar. So hopefully, I mean, I think we might have even filled our allocation now. I think we might, we might, there's no tickets showing right now on the website available for that match. So look, get behind the lads in this one because this really could be a surprise. Yeah, no, I'm uh, incredibly excited to see what uh, what Fulham can do on uh, on Saturday. I, I did wonder, Jack, not that, not that Marco will rest any players for this, but uh, that, that Everton game is looming large now for us in terms of things around the corner. I don't think anyone would want to pick up an injury uh, in this game with that with that Carabao Cup game uh, ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd expect to see a similar side to the one that played at Liverpool. I think that maybe this is a game where TC gets a rest just in terms of the way that we're going to probably lack a little bit more control than we would do at home. I'd imagine he comes back in then for for that Everton game on on Tuesday. Although to be honest, I've been saying this and he's played ninety minutes back to back, so it, you know it's 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 much of a muchness in in that regard. I'm I'm intrigued by how he just slightly tweaks it in order to to deal with things. I think Kenny Tete comes back in here especially if Anthony Gordon plays down that left-hand side for Newcastle. I think he might go with, with Tete to try and shut down that one-on-one threat, just just enable to you know, to mix things up a little bit, but also in order to to solidify that defensive work down the right-hand side. Um, and, and I think that there's probably a couple more changes as well. I'm not, I'm not quite sure exactly how it pans out, but I, I'd, imagine, I'd imagine there'll be two or three changes to the side the one against West Ham, just in order to tweak the side to fit Newcastle a little bit better. It's going to be interesting to see what they do at fullback. Obviously, Trippier out. Livermento could go over to right back, and that offers an opportunity, whether it's Dan Byrne that comes in at left back or or Lewis Hall, who obviously signed for from Chelsea in the in the summer. There's not almost any depth in midfield. It's been Lewis Miley, Bruno Gimedes, and Joe Linton in that midfield three. They have Sean Longstaff on the bench. That is it. You look at the the bench against Milan and it was so thin in terms of what they were they were trying to do. Um, and then up front, they started with Wilson in this game. I think they'll probably start with Isaac, who played the second half of this one. Gordon's been a mainstay of this team. And unless they go Wilson on the through the middle, Isaac down one side and Gordon through down the other, I think Almiron probably has to start. So yeah, there's not loads of options for them to to mix this up because their squad is so so thin right now yeah and we could be seeing uh, a familiar sight dean dan burn at right back <laughs> uh, we don't have happy memories of him there and hopefully there's more unhappy memories for him there yeah hopefully he plays how he used to play for us yeah exactly that i don't I like this new stunned. version of dan burn i want to see the old one <laughs> i'll be absolutely stunned if he plays it right back just so just so we're clear <laughs> oh, um, yeah. yeah well look we'll see what happens on saturday uh 3 p.m saturday kickoff that hasn't happened uh for for quite some time if you're going up to newcastle uh say travels and hopefully the boys can spring a little bit of a shock we'll take another break there afterwards we'll get into some of your emails Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Dean. Uh, Let's go through some of your emails. First one, this one from Justin Miller. We've kind of come on to it, but interesting to get Justin's thoughts. He said, hey, all with our recent goal scoring form and Rao's seeming resurgence, 
How do you think this might change our targets or approach in the January window? For many reasons, it feels like this is a huge benefit and maybe gives us an opportunity to take a run at a striker for the long term, as opposed to needing someone that will need to make immediate impact. At minimum, this should at least remove the stench of desperation from us at the negotiating table. Do you all think this should change our previously suggested targets in any way, or even just wait until the summer window to land a bigger signing? I mean, we all kind of discussed this, but I think personally, I would go for now don't sign anyone up front unless you absolutely get a perfect opportunity to do you know I nearly said it in uh, when we had the discussion do you know what someone I'd love I'd love a Vincenzo Montella for six months <laughs> well, well we are linked with a Roma player are we not Dean yeah I was going to say we were linked with Bellotti so if you want someone like that that's probably as close as you're going to get but I can't see it happening for the life of me but that'll probably be your Montella for Jan if that's what you're looking for the um, rooster instead of the little aeroplane <laughs> yeah exactly uh, again like if you can get pull off a bargain like the Garassi one we were talking about then fine but yeah the thought of signing somebody in a panic state has hopefully now passed us by. Mm. And to be honest, there's probably a few clubs out there that are cursing our, our change in form a little bit because we were desperate. That's the perfect way to put it. We we were going to the table being like, we need to buy some goals. How much would you sell us them for? And they'll be like, well, how much, how much is them? goals? Yeah, how much is Mitrovic? How much is Mitrovic? Gary goals. <laughs> Give us he that. scores all types of the goals. I did like what, what Marco Silva said the other day. It was, it, it was like, we need to stop talking about Mitro. But ultimately, he was like, this guy scored 14 goals last season, not 40. Like, that's n- like he feels irreplaceable, but that number of goals isn't irreplaceable. We have to move on from it. And it, it has bugged me a bit that, the amount of people in the stands every time we've gone through struggles, the talk is still always Mitro. And I really it's hope. Be, though, right? Of course it was. Yeah. But because of the, the goals being so dry, you just couldn't stop. You couldn't get it out of your head. Like he's gone. He ain't coming back. Um, as much as we'd like to believe that might be plausible. He's never coming back apart from maybe if he gets um, that award on a pitch at half time. Yeah. But um Let's move on and find something short term, I think, and then go longer term in summer. Yeah. Uh, right. This one from Peter O'Connor uh, sends an email about Tom Kearney. He says, hi, Fulhamish team. What a week. A question for the pod. Is it just me or has Kearney grown as a player defensively compared to his former self? Last couple of games, I noticed him putting in a relatively high number of good tackles in the middle of the park and near the bylines, winning the ball back alongside Joao. It doesn't chime with my memories of peak TC. Is this a side to his game that has grown under silver? Do we have any stats on this? Tackles made per 90, etc etc or my just imagining it all as was watching Polini has made me a tackling enthusiast from Peter I mean I did notice for the penalty that TC won uh, against Wolves that move towards TC winning the penalty all started from a very good Tom Kearney tackle it is something that he has I think added to his game and was a criticism a fair criticism for him particularly in that 1819 season I always thought you know his his yeah. his work in the middle of the park he would often let defenders just just run uh, midfielders just run by him oh no I can't catch him <laughs> he doesn't do that so much anymore so I do think this is probably some part of his game that he's worked on Dean 
Yeah, I think you're probably right, but I think it's also experience and reading of the game. Like I think a lot of his uh, his tackling just comes from a better foresight of how play is going to open up now and whether you know his role in the team has also changed. You know, because he is now a leader within this team because he's the captain and he probably feels a bit more responsibility to actually make those challenges. Whereas in the previous versions of Tom Kearney, he was the creator. He was the guy that would spark something into life on the ball rather than having to go and win the ball. And I think as you get older, your role changes. And I think that's probably where we're at now with Tom Kearney because I don't feel it was a case. He was probably not capable of winning challenges. I think he would probably just didn't really want to be doing that part of the job at that moment in time. Yeah. I think that, I think Silver has that reputation now though, for also improving players. I think we know that he can come in and change players games. And I think that's what he's done to Kearney over time. Uh, this one from David Smith. He says, hi, Sammy, hope you're well. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on what Marco is trying to do with the fullbacks. He seems to be trying to give Balotore minutes when the game is really safe. I'm all for seeing more, but I'm wondering if he thinks Robertson needs a break. It seems especially strange given that Kenny Tete hasn't played at all for two games after making his return to the team. Thanks from David. Now, Jack, I think one element of Robinson is that he's one yellow card away from a ban. Um, so maybe playing him unnecessarily isn't great. Although I don't know if you noticed this, Jack, when Robinson got substituted on um, Sunday for Balotore, he threw his arms up in the air. He wasn't massively happy. Um, with which might just be a sign of he just why are you taking me off? But yeah, I, I've been also surprised not to see Kenny Tete at all when we've been safe, considering we're trying to work him back to fitness. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is something going on in the way that he's trying to rotate the fullbacks on the right hand side. I think that you know whether it is just as simple as home versus away, or it's more to do with the the link up plays down that right hand side and actually the way that Fulham are trying to work the ball into the box. I touched on this on Monday. I think that whilst Kenny Tete is an incredible one-on-one defender and his crossing is exquisite in many ways, the new look, or Fulham 2.0, if if you will, under Marco Silva, obviously without Mitrovic in there, is trying to work the ball in in slightly different angles and trying to, to provide those overloads in the wide areas, not so much to swing a ball into the middle for someone to attack, but actually to try and open up an opportunity to find a square ball or a cutback or something that actually plays into our strengths a little bit more now that the big man has gone. And Tete's ability to whip balls from deep is almost unparalleled, but it's also probably not quite exactly what Fulham are trying to do, especially at home anymore because we're trying to find those angles and, and work the ball into the box rather than swinging it in. I think that's probably got something to do with it because a little bit cuter in those areas and just in terms of finding a pass and, and looking for those overloads. So I wonder if that's got something to do with it. Obviously, the fitness thing is also in, involved, but I wonder if it's, it, it's almost to do with the style that Fulham are trying to play at home compared to away. And look, we'll see a lot of this, whether it's true or not, at the weekend. Because obviously at the moment we only have those two home games and the Liverpool game to work off. And what we saw then was it was a very different team to what we've seen in the two games against Forest and West Ham. So what that looks like, I think we'll have a better idea of on Monday. But I, I think that there's something going on tactically rather than him just picking a player based on who's in form and fitness. A left back, I think it's really good news that we're able to bring someone in because, as you say, Robinson is on the edge of a suspension. We're talking about, you know, there's going to become a point where he's unavailable 
for a game relatively soon, you'd imagine. And you want Fede Balotore to be able to step in there and be comfortable. And at the moment, he's looked very comfortable every time he's got on the pitch. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I guess also, I guess the other side of it is there's one trying to protect Robinson from the ban, but there's like inevitable that Robinson will probably get it. Although I don't know what the cutoff point is for five when it goes from five to 10. It might, I think is it, it is the Ooh, 19th yeah. game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think unless so. I'm mistaken, I'm I'm sure someone will correct me if I was. But um, so see, he actually hasn't got too many more games to go. But you know, Anthony Robinson, if he has to get a yellow card, he will get a yellow card if it's for the sake <laughs> of protecting a goal. So yeah, uh, maybe also trying to blood in Balatori for that inevitable moment. Um, final email, and this is one based on something from last week, Jack. You might remember the Nordic team that we talked about, the Nordic eleven. Yes, we missed someone. Well, and so did Johannes, um, but we missed someone as well whilst discussing um, potential players for that team. So Axel Norgren got in touch. He said, hi team, appreciate the podcast. I've been listening to it for roughly five to six years. Got excited for the Nordic 11 presented by Johannes. Can first tell you that I've been supporting Fulham from Sweden since roughly 2009. I got hooked by the Europa League run, but followed Fulham previously, mostly since my dad was a co-worker with Bjorn Ronstrom's father at a local municipality. Uh, unfortunately, Bjorn doesn't make the cut for the 11. I think only objection you could have would be Lassavigan Christensen in midfield instead of Nicholas Jensen. He said he also had a soft spot for David Nicholas Jensen is going into left back. What are, we, what are we talking about? We had this full argument last week. Uh, he also says also had a soft spot for David Elm as well. Speaking of agriculture players, David Elm doesn't get into that. Um, the tree, please get, no. He doesn't get ahead of Heiger Helgeson and uh, Eric Nevlin. But Jack, Lassavigan Christensen should be considered for the middle because Lassavigan's Christensen and on the left of a diamond, as we know, is absolute mustard. Yes, he should be considered. I don't think he gets in. I assume he's talking about Klaus Jensen, who we did have in the midfield, right? I don't think Lassavigan Christensen was a better player than Klaus Jensen. So I'm going to say no, but I do appreciate the concept. <laughs> fair, yeah. Fair enough. Well, he was just putting him forward for, I, I feel like we, we totally we glossed over discuss, We should have discussed him. Yeah. We should have discussed him. He, it, was, it was unfair of us. Actually, do you know who could go in here? Although if we're only using their time against Fulham, who's actually declared for Denmark now? Matt O'Reilly. Has he? Has he? Yeah, he made his debut. Well, I didn't he made even know that. His debut for the Danish national team in the last set of European games. So, right. what a life yeah. that lad's having! There you go. Matt O'Reilly could probably be in the conversation, although he didn't play enough for Fulham to, you know, it was about their performances in a Fulham shirt. Yeah. So there is there is that. But I mean, if you're talking about world beaters, he just then, doesn't um, sound. He doesn't have a Nordic enough name to go in a Nordic eleven either. Matt O'Reilly alongside. Heide Helgeson and Breda Hangeland. Do you know what? When uh, Matt O'Reilly, my only actual memory of Matt O'Reilly at Fulham is when we were at Bleacher Report, we went down to Fulham's training ground and we did this um, this filming session with them, which Scott Parker uh, was great with, to be honest. And like the, the lads at the time were like so on board. It was like we had this VR headset and it was like this walk the plank challenge and the whole squad came in. And they had to put this VR headset on and there was like this set up in this, in this room in the training ground. And it was an actual plank on the floor. Obviously, once you put the, the headset on and stuff, it looks like you're walking off the top of a building and you're looking down. And a lot of the players were okay with it. Matt O'Reilly like collapsed as he was walking along the plank through seeming fear 
fell to the ground. Actually, he didn't fall to the ground. He hit a radiator, right? He fell to the side. You weren't clattered, meant to tell this story. <laughs> clattered into the radiator. And me and the other guys are just like, get up. Please get up. And he kind of like gets up and he's like, oh, oh, that's a bit sore. And he kind of like hobbled up. And at the time, nobody else was in, like, none of the coaches were in there. And we were like, come on, Matt. Make sure you're not in that injury room, mate. Come on, we can't be handling this right now. Mate, honestly, for a second, I was like, what is going on? Why is he clattered into that radiator like that? But yeah, you, guys, you guys nearly injured Matt O'Reilly for a bit of content. Basically, mate. Yeah, basically. And sadly, we never saw Matt O'Reilly properly, did we? Like Matt O'Reilly was talked about as being a wonder kid in the same way as many players have been at Fulham. And I'm really disappointed we never saw what he is fulfilling now but i'm really pleased for him great lad hello yeah. footballer um i've just done a little bit of digging sammy on a previous that previous question about tom kearney and his tackles um he has actually improved his tackles one per game quite considerably this season um over the last four years he's averaged around 0 0.73 0 0.71 tackles a game one and this year he's averaging 1.11 per game so there you go there you yes, go. there has been a significant defensive improvement by about a third of what he's what he's been putting out in the last couple of years. There you go, David. Your question's been answered. TC the Enforcer. That will do for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much to my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you as ever. Thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. And Dean, lovely to have you on. Thanks for coming. Cheers, mate. All right, Fulhamish will return uh, Sunday evening, Monday morning, looking back at the Newcastle game and then looking ahead to that big cup match against Everton. Have a great weekend, whatever you do. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.